born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. Turn in your Bible to the book of Romans and chapter 9. Romans and chapter 9. We've been studying in Sunday school the book of Romans. Loaded with all kinds of good stuff in it. We're now in the ninth chapter, the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. And uh, we kind of highlighted very quickly last Sunday in uh, the part that deals with God's sovereignty, God's foreknowledge, and what He has predestined. So you and I are supposed to understand that uh, He's the potter, we're the clay. And he can shape the clay and do whatever he wants. God is limited by his own character. And so he has chosen to do certain things. And God has chosen to give man a free will. It means God lets your destiny depend upon you. God allows you to make bad decisions and suffer the consequences. That's not unfair with God. And God will allow you and permit you to make good decisions and enjoy the blessings of those good decisions. And some people take advantage of that. Some people do not. And then when everything goes wrong, they get mad and blame God. It is not God's fault. Understand that when we talk about predestination, predestination is what we consider to be the security of the believer. There's the foreknowledge of God. That's, you know, what God knows. That's... uh, That's like we call it uh, uh, an attribute. And then there's an act of God which is predestined. That means something he does. One is what he knows. So God, because of what he knows, can predetermine certain things and tell in advance what's going to happen because God knows what's going to happen. I don't believe so much that things happen because God said it, but uh, because God knows it, God told it. And so uh, you'll find a good balance of that as you study the scriptures. So God says... He is the one that I will have compassion and I will have mercy and I will have judgment on individuals who make decisions that are either in harmony with his will or against his will. So uh, you, as an individual, ought to understand what God will do and won't do so that you'll know how far you can go. You know, just like a bunch of little kids, we always want to see just how much can I do before mom and dad really smacks me. And uh, we want to test the waters. We've got to see just, you know, where's that boundary of authority. And it's okay when they're really small, but when they get to be teenagers, that's when they begin to challenge. And, uh, 
Believe it or not, you just keep on challenging all the days of your life. But as you go down through here, and it's talking about God has a purpose of why he does what he does. So God will force you to make decisions. He will bring things into your life, forcing the issue. And he did that with Pharaoh. He's going to do the same thing with you. And just like uh, when someone presents the gospel to somebody, it's almost like God forcing the issue. Will you or will you not? And you can either be teachable, pliable, submissive, whatever it takes, or you can be hard, cold, bitter, and uh, rebellious. So there's a, a choice that people can make. And so when you study about the predestination, you'll find that it's talking about those that are in Christ, in Christ. God has chosen those that are in him. So all those that are in Christ, God has predetermined will be holy and perfect and without spot and blameless and so forth before the Father. Now, we have already determined before anybody got here this morning, we're going to have the adult Sunday school class in this auditorium. But I did not personally, I did not determine who came. That was your choice, right? But all of those in here will have to listen to me. I determined that. I have determined that all those who come in here will have to sit there and I will stand here and you're going to listen to what I have to say. I determined that. Now, you can accept or reject anything, but you chose to come into the church service. And God has determined that all those that are in Christ, this is the way it's going to be. And it's, you're going to be perfect. You get to go to heaven and all that, you know. But it's only those who accept that payment Christ made, they get to go to heaven. And those that reject it, they don't get to go. So he's using the book of Romans, dealings with the is nation of Israel and what he did and how he did certain things and all the choices that he made so that you and I, as we come out of chapter 8, we understand what he's talking about because in chapter 8, he talks about the foreknowledge of God. In chapter 8, talks about being conformed to the image of Christ. In chapter 8, it talks about predestination and all these things about what God has decided and that God has already determined he'll never cast you out. He won't lose you. No separation. These are all things found in chapter 8. So, the illustration of God's dealing with Israel is so that you and I can rest assured and understand how God works. So by the time you get to chapter 12 and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and you what God's done for you, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. And don't be conformed to this world. Because he just talked about in chapter 8 about being conformed to the image of Christ. And the only way you can conform to the image of Christ is to be transformed from the inside that you may consider, approve, or find that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So those things are mentioned here. So in the book of Romans in chapter 9, as you go down through here, and uh, it looks like God is just going to do whatever God wants to do. Well, it sure does look like that. After all, he is God. And he decided before you and I were ever born, before we did any good or bad, how he's going to run this universe, whether we like it or not. God never called me up and asked me, said, Yankee, do you think I ought to have a place called hell? He never took me into his counsel and, you know, and I didn't get to give my two cents worth. God had never asked me my advice. I don't think he's ever asked my advice. Don't you admire the wisdom of someone who asks your advice? Anyway, we'll move right along. 
Verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay? Of the same lump to make one vessel honor, another one dishonor. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath? In other words, you just, God did just make a vessel of wrath. He endured with much long suffering. He permitted you to make one bad decision after another. God does not intervene. Now, he will try to help you to see and so forth, send people your way, but you can become as hardened to the will of God as you choose to be. You can be as rebellious as you want to be. And then when God has to use you as an example of his wrath upon a vessel who refuses to be submissive to the hands of the Lord and how God can shape you into a vessel of honor, you choose to harden yourself and you will not let God conform you, mold you. Now, so whenever you go from chapter 8 and being conformed to the image of Christ, what do you think if God is going to make a vessel of honor, then he must be trying to conform you to the image of Christ. So there's things that happens in life that are helping to conform you. And he says, don't let the world conform you or be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And that's because of pressure that's on the inside that determines the shape. It's not the pressures on the outside. They don't reveal. But what makes you is what's on the inside of you. Now get this. He makes a statement here in verse 22. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. See, God has things that he wants to use for his honor and for his glory. But he forces you to make decisions. And everybody's got to make decisions. That's why you'll have trials. You say, well, I didn't ask for this. You have testing. I didn't ask for this. Who did? God's forcing you to make a decision. He's putting a problem in front of you that makes you seek wisdom. What do I do? Because, see, if you knew how to do everything, your life would really be boring. But it's the uncertainty of your own knowledge and your own wisdom that you seek God's. When you come to the limitation of yourself, when you don't have all the answers and you're limited in power, you can't make everything happen. And whatever you want, you can't always make it be fulfilled. So God is working behind the scenes because God wants to use all these things to mold us the way he wants us to be. He's the potter. We're the clay. He's the one that's using different things to apply pressure. So there's knowledge that we're supposed to have on the inside and the experiences on the outside. It shapes you into the image of Christ. Just so you see that, look there in Romans chapter 8. Just turn to your left there. If you're, if you're, you're right there in Old School for Reference Bible, that is. Romans in chapter 8. And you notice where he makes the statement that he's talking about conforming us to the image of his son. See there in verse 29? For whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So in this life, the sufferings of this life, he is using it to conform you. And you can either get bitter at God because of the things that he permits to come into your life, or you can become teachable and pliable and say, Lord, I don't like this. I don't understand this, but I'm in your hands 
And I will take whatever you send my way. Help me just to respond correctly. That's why I've said over and over again. What happens to you in life is not important. It's how you respond to the Lord is important. Because that's what makes or breaks you right there. Or you can become bitter. And you know, when you're bitter, you know what you do? You complain. Have you been complaining lately? Because of things that happens? That's a dead giveaway to a hardening heart. Your heart's getting hard. And when it gets hard, the clay gets hard. And if it keeps getting hard and, and refuses to apply the washing of the water by the word, you are going to become brittle and easily broken. So instead of bending, you're going to break. I'm having a nervous breakdown. You planned it. You did it. When you do not cast all your cares upon the Lord, you, you're casting them upon yourself. Because you won't do what God said. That's pride. Pride. If what makes you say, I don't need God, I don't need anybody, I can do it all by myself. Well, God said, okay, go ahead. And God can arrange things, and the next problem gets worse, and the next one gets worse, and the next one gets worse, and you're going to break. But now remember, the breaking was your choice. That was your choice. Worrying, the fret, all the things. Remember, the, there's certain things that is a, um, because of your spirit, like sorrow, sorrow. Sorrow is not because of my body. Sorrow is my mind. Sorrow. But sometimes we go through afflictions and things like that of the flesh in the body. So there's different kinds of testings that you're going to have. But now, what I want you to see there, look in verse 25. Verse 25. And now he's using the nation of Israel and saying, you know, there's all these people, as many as the sand of the sea, but not all Israel are those who are of the flesh in Israel. Now they considered to me, I'm a Jew, I'm an Israeli, uh, whatever, and I'm of the same nation. Uh, but remember in chapter 9 and verse 8, where it says, that is they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. So, but God's always had a remnant of those who were believers within the nation. Because it says the seed is because of those that are believers. And we don't have time to go into all of that. But look where in verse 25. As he said also in Isaiah, or Hosea, he said, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. Now this is talking about the Gentiles of, that were not God's people. But God is going to take from the Gentiles and, and make them a people. Look there in Hosea chapter 2. Two scriptures there that you need to look at. But Hosea uh, is right after the book of Daniel. But the book of Hosea. And look in chapter 2. Look there in verse 23. Where he makes the statement. And I will sow her unto me in the earth. And I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people. Thou art my people. And they shall say. Thou art my God. Now, there's some interesting things in the book of Hosea. Uh, I would not want to be the prophet Hosea. I just would not want to be him. I wouldn't want to be Ezekiel. I, well, I wouldn't want to be Jeremiah either. <laughs> he was a weeping prophet. 
you know, some of these guys had terrible lives. They suffered, looks like, all their life. Now, Daniel may not have had it too bad, especially when he got out of the lion's den, but um, outside of a few little skirmishes like that, everything was cool. Because he was a leader. He probably lived in a mansion like Saddam Hussein. Who knows? But in Hosea, look in chapter 1. In chapter 1, look there in verse 11, where it says, Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head. Now, there's a time coming, even though they, the tribes have been split. God is prophesying there's going to become a time when the Jews and the Israel are going to become one nation once again, and that's mentioned in others. Uh, look there in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 6. You've often heard me make statements, but God put a hedge of thorns around you. See, anybody who becomes rebellious, I pray, Lord, put a hedge of thorn about them. That means everything that they do, it pricks them. Would you like to live with a hedge of thorns around you? No. You want a hedge where it keeps you know, the enemy out and protects you so you can have a lot of good freedom inside. But a lot of people, see, they, they're rebellious to the Lord. And you want God to chasten them. And they actually prayed about that in the book of Corinthians in chapter 5. Somebody was doing things they shouldn't do, and so they prayed a, a big hedge of thorns about them. They would the Lord and take them home. But here, in verse 6, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. And make a wall that she shall not find her path. So this is what sometimes, when you know somebody that's not walking with the Lord, pray a hedge of thorns around that individual. Because you love them. Not because of revenge. Not because you want them hurt. But because you want them to get back to the Lord as quickly as possible. Because you don't want people just to walk away from the Lord. Nothing happened to them. I want God to deal with them in their lives. Because you love people. And you care about them. So also, I want you to look there while we're here. Look in Hosea chapter 3. This is not where I wanted to dwell, but it's a good place to chase a rabbit. In verse 3, And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. In other words, God says, I'm, I'm waiting on you. Because Israel's he had to divorce his wife. But he's waiting for her to come back. And everything will be hunky-dory. But in verse 4, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, and without a sacrifice. Because, you see, there hasn't been anybody can claim the throne since Christ. There hasn't been a temple, so there's no sacrifices. So these many days have lasted quite a long time. But you know and I know that one day all of it's going to come back. But in verse 5, he says, and afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So this is what God is going to do. But God says there's going to be judgment. And the reason is because people do not know the truth. Now, as we study in chapter 9, 10, and 11, remember talking about the past, the present, and the future of Israel, so that you can see where you come from, what happened to you, and then how God can bless you, based upon your decisions and the end result. So Israel, yes, became rebellious and they were going to be chastened of the Lord and they were. But God says, no, I did it because I'm trying to get you to come back to me. This is the reason and the purpose for the tribulation period. 
is to really wake up Israel because Israel will know if God does not intervene, if the Messiah doesn't come back, Israel will be annihilated except God's intervention. And God says it's going to be a short period of time that he's not going to wait forever. It's like, you know, it just seems like we can do wrong and get away with it and get away with it and get away with it. And God says that's enough. The word destruction also sometimes referred to as consumption. And I'll show you that in just a second. But look at this. In verse 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because... Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I also will reject thee from being the nation they ought to be and so forth in the priests and the temple and everything was taken away from them. But there's still a remnant of God's people. And he makes the statement down there in verse 10. Uh, For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. In other words, you would not listen to me. You went your own way. I warned you, I warned you, I warned you. And he even says that whoredom and wine didn't satisfy you. See there in verse 11, he says, because it takes away the heart from the Lord. And so they hardened themselves little by little, over and over and over again. Uh, Look there in verse 15 of chapter 5. This is just a good little verse as a sideline, but I want you to see it. He said, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. And you ought to underline this phrase in your Bible. In their afflictions, in their afflictions, they will seek me early. So that's why you pray a hedge of thorns around a particular person, because you want them to seek the Lord early. It means immediately, right away. And uh, it's like a person going to prison, but we give them everything they want in prison. You know, they've got the gymnasium, they've got the weights, and they've got the TV, and they've got everything that they want, and they've got a padded cell, and everything's wonderful. It's like living in a mansion. But take away all that stuff and send them to Arizona where they can live in Tent City, and they may not want to come back. You want people to wake up and realize. And I don't believe that many people in America are going to understand or realize the error of their ways until God has to really slam this country pretty hard. I think he's in the process of doing some of that myself. But anyway, all these things are coming. And um, uh, just, uh, I better get back over there to the book of (laughs) Romans. There's a lot of good stuff in the book of uh, Hosea that's kind of like the warning And this is why Paul is going back to the book of Hosea, telling them, this is what I told you and why I did what I did. So there's many things that we learn from the Old Testament that we're supposed to be a little wiser uh, because of it. So God says in the book of Romans in chapter 15, uh, look, look, look in chapter 15 of Romans. See there in verse 4? In verse 4 where he makes the statement, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written, get this, for our learning. For our learning. So we're supposed to learn from the Old Testament Scriptures. Get this. Were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, the Old Testament, might have hope. Because we understand that God, in see in verse 5, the God of patience. And down in verse 13, now the God of hope. And this is what he's talking about. And you look in verse 33, the God of peace. So 
You can learn things about God by studying the stories in the Old Testament that will help you to have more patience, to have more confidence, more hope, to have more boldness, to have the peace of God. Because you understand the process by which God works. It's just kind of like playing sports. Any sports you want to play, you need to know the rules. How would you like to play a game and there are no rules? Do you think you'd get any arguments? Probably. If <laughs> but we're going we're to try this at one camp. Uh, at our camp. We're going to maybe try some Russian softball. Where there's virtually no rules. The rule is there's no rules. It's kind of like this person just told me recently. He says, I was thinking about joining the nudist colony. But I would have so much trouble trying to figure out what clothes not to wear. Our biggest problem is opening up the closet trying to figure out what am I going to wear. <laughs> See, where would that come from? I, never mind. Go back to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And you'll notice where he says in verse 26, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people. There shall be, be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sands of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. There's still going to be a remnant. And when he's talking about being saved, I believe he's talking about being saved. Because you look down in chapter 10, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God to Israel is that Israel would be saved. But you see, there's always a remnant of people that do believe. But majority of people don't believe. And you know what has amazed me over the years? As you study the scriptures, you find out that there is not an Old Testament verse that tells me what, what Noah preached. It just said he was a preacher of righteousness. Well, we know he couldn't be a preacher of man's righteousness because no man can ever be saved by his own right. So he had to be a preacher of God's righteousness. What talks about Noah was a preacher and a prophet. He talked about Christ coming with ten thousands of his saints. But go to the Old Testament, you can't find that. The Bible tells us about Moses and how that Moses, well, he esteemed the reproach of Christ to be of greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. What well, we don't? How did how do you know about Christ, the Messiah? I didn't, they didn't have an Old Testament scriptures. He hadn't wrote it yet. God hadn't used him to write it yet. But he already knew about Christ. He says so, and he knew. Who he was. He knew what that was going on. So there's things that they knew that we don't have the scripture that says this is what they said or this is how they knew. But there's a lot of knowledge they had back then that's not necessarily recorded. But God's preachers, God's prophets were preaching it. The Bible says that God preached before the gospel unto Abraham. And where does it say that? In the book of Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 8. So does it say that God preached before the gospel to Abraham in the Old Testament? Well, yes. I wonder what that gospel was. What The one that wrote that in Galatians 3, 8 is the very same one that says there is only one gospel. Only one. So if there's only one gospel for the salvation of a man, well, it could be two, it can't be three. And so he says, I 
marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ or into the gospel of Christ that you be changed or moved and believe in a perverted gospel, one that adds works to it because the test of the gospel is grace. So whatever that message was that God preached to Abraham, it could not have included works, so it had to be by grace. But yet there's so much that God has revealed that we do not know. To them, that was not recorded. Were you ever told that you must confess Christ before men to be saved? Were you warned that if you refused to confess Christ, He would not confess you before the Father? Just what does that mean? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me